Welcome to another episode of Highway 89, Utah's most scenic musical byway. I'm Don Shaline, and this hour we're going to be driving Geronimo's Cadillac to a <laughs> land of enchantment, a place with Red River Valleys and sagebrush symphonies. Now, you probably didn't even know that those types of things existed along this scenic highway, but they are when singer-songwriter and cowboy Michael Martin Murphy's in the studio. Michael, welcome. Good to drift into your little camp here. It's nice to have you around the campfire. You know, I think that's how it feels right now. It is so cool to have you here. Uh, and there are so many things that, that we want to ask you about, but we want to have the music, uh, because you brought your guitar along too, and we're excited about that. We want to have uh, plenty of time for you to be able to sing for us too. It's hard for me to talk without a guitar in my hand Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I bet. There are a lot of things that uh, Michael has done. I, I think you'll realize as you listen that uh, there is a there are a lot of sides to this performer that you may not have known, and, and we're going to discover some of them. But right now, let's go ahead and start with a song that I bet a lot of people are going to recognize right away. You want to introduce it, Michael, or just go into it? We'll talk about it after I play it. How's that? My, my best manager ever, who's now passed away, used to live in Park City, Utah. He said, sing first, talk afterwards, so... She comes down from Yellow Mountain On a dark flatland she rides On a pony she named Wildfire A whirlwind by her side On a cold Nebraska night They say she died one winter When there came a killing frost And the pony she named Wildfire Busted down his stall In a blizzard he was lost She ran calling wild fire. So by the dark of the moon, I planted, but there came an early snow. Been a hoot owl howling outside my window now Six nights in a row She's coming for me, I know And on wildfire, we're both gonna go We'll be riding Michael Martin Murphy and Wildfire. That That is such a cool song. And, it, and for me, it brings back so many memories. And I'm sure for a lot of people it does too. I was I was a DJ at a station, you know, playing that song when the kids were calling up and requesting this uh, this ethereal, ghostly kind of a song called Wildfire. What's the story behind that song? 
I dreamed it. You dreamed it. Yeah, I was uh, working as a songwriter in, in Los Angeles, and I did not have a record contract. I was writing songs for other people, and uh, at that point, I was writing an album that was a 20-song song cycle for Kenny Rogers in the first edition before he dropped the first edition and just became Kenny, Ro Kenny Rogers. It was his last album with the first edition, and uh, he wanted to do a concept album, and I had met him. He had heard a couple of songs that I had written for this. I don't know if you want to call it a, a pop opera or a rock opera. It's really sort of the first country music pop opera that anybody ever tried to write. I live very close to a town called Calico, and uh, I was uh, always driving down there on the desert, and I got fascinated with this town. I wrote 20 songs about it. So it took about four or five months to work out the songs, and some of the songs I wrote in collaboration with a fellow Texan named Larry Kanzler who had gone to the same college I went to, North Texas State University, which I attended for two years. I was a UCLA student at the time. I wrote the song. I used to drive down from the mountains because I couldn't stand the smog, and I'd stay at Larry's house about three times a week. We worked on this for about six months. And uh, we'd been writing songs, staying up till three or four in the morning. And uh, we, had, we finally were exhausted one night as we ended the project. And I've, never, I've always found that when you're working on one set of songs, it always leads to you thinking of other songs that don't relate to it. You say, no, no, wait a minute, don't write that right now because that's not pertinent. But you need to do that. You need to go ahead and let that in. So I had uh, gone to sleep in a sleeping bag. He and his wife slept upstairs. She was a nurse. She got up at 5 in the morning. We went to bed at 4. She came down at, at 5 and said, you're still awake. You're still working on something. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I keep all my songwriting materials here by the bed and have a yellow pad, and I had a dream, and I wrote this dream down, and here's, here's the lyrics, and I read her a few of the lyrics, and she said, I'm going to go wake up Larry. <laughs> so she went upstairs and got him, and he came down, got on the piano, and we worked out this song together, wrote the song probably in an hour. Wow. And uh became my most famous song. It was not identified as my best song by the producers that I worked with. I worked with Bob Johnson, who was Bob Dylan's producer and Leonard Cohen's producer, Simon and Garfunkel, Johnny Cash. He did Geronimo's Cadillac, Geronimo, uh, Cosmic Cowboy. Uh, my third album, just called Michael Murphy. And uh, when I came around to the fourth album, the third album had not done well. And uh, he said, okay, give me a body of songs and I'll choose which ones I think you should do. I said, that's, that's fine. And all the songs that I sang for him, he, he said, that one will work, except for Wildfire. <laughs> really? I said, I really don't, <laughs> don't think that one will work. He said, it's too strange. It's not. It was in the disco era. He said, it's, it's not ever going to make it on the pop charts in a, day, in a time when the Bee Gees are singing. Wildfire disco, maybe it's, it's you know? the dance mix. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, just do me a favor. You know, my, my uh, sister-in-law really wants me to put that song on an album. And since the last album didn't do very well, this might be my last one. So I think I'll put it on there. And if you don't mind, it'll just be an album cut. And he said, okay, you know, just don't throw another one on there I don't like. <laughs> and uh, we recorded the song. Um, I, I tacked a little Scriabin piece uh, from uh, Scriabin's Etude Number 3 onto it, which is the piano part. And uh, we listened back to it, and Johnson said, you know, I never saw in that song anything until now. We recorded it, and the piano's on there. I was at Caribou Ranch in Colorado. She, he ran into the kitchen and got the ladies who worked in the kitchen to come in. That was his secret. Bob always got common people that had nothing to do with the music business to listen to the music. That's a good idea. If they liked it, you know, then he thought maybe it was something. Played them the whole album, and uh, they said, well, Wildfire, that's the one we like the best. So uh, I dreamed it, you know, and I think – that taught me to live by my dreams a little bit more than I always had. I think songwriters are people who dream in public out in the open during the daytime. Uh, daydream believers. Uh, 
but we we dream at night too. And I think if you listen to your dreams in life, no matter what profession you're in, it always informs you. Intuition and inspiration from God is really important. And I believe dreams come from God. And I'll just tell you one last thing about this. Genesis 40, chapter 8. Joseph has been thrown in prison, right? Yeah. The Pharaoh doesn't like him anymore. While he was considered to be, I mean, like Pharaoh's son. Now he's in prison, right? And while he's down there in this dungeon, you can imagine a dungeon back then, you know, snakes and lizards and Lord knows what's down there, and they throw you a little piece of bread once in a while. All of a sudden, the door of the dungeon comes open, and they throw these other guys. It literally was a pit, and they threw these other two guys in there. One was the baker that served Pharaoh, and the other one was the butler. And uh, so it, it gets kind of quiet, and they're sitting there, and they start talking, and the butler says, you know, like prisoners will do, what are you in for? <laughs> <laughs> he says, well, I, I've been having some dreams, and Pharaoh doesn't like my dreams. You know, it, it never pays to have a different dream than the CEO. And uh, he said, well, that's the same reason he threw us in here. And uh, the other one says, yeah, I've, I've been having these dreams too. And uh, they they look at each other for a minute, and they say, "When it, Joseph, we know you're a man of God, and we know that you are great at interpreting dreams. So would you be so kind as to interpret our dreams? He says, I will, but before I do that, I want to tell you something. Dreams are God's business. Hmm. It's good to remember that. Wow. God's business is dreams. <laughs> Joseph, quoting Joseph. That's right. <laughs> we, want, we want to hear a few more of these dreams that have become uh, become musical realities. I, you've got such a, a great history, too. You mentioned a little bit Daydream Believer. You actually have some roots with uh, the monkeys, don't you? You go back with Michael Nesmith, and uh, we were in a band with him. Is that right? Yeah, you know, it wasn't that long after I was in a band with Michael that, yeah. uh, that uh, he rec- got in the monkeys, and they recorded a song of mine. That I had known him since high school days. When I was 17, I had a little coffee house in Dallas, Texas. It was a no smoking, no drinking, because uh, it was a dry county. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it was, you know, Dallas is pretty much run by Baptists. Yeah. And uh, so we had coffee, and we would play original material. I think bars are not as conducive to original material as a place where people are sitting around, you know, kind of getting excited about what they're hearing. And, uh, of course, he was from San Antonio. So I mentioned San Antonio in the song. I wrote this song when I was 16. And that great bluegrass band, the Monkees, recorded <laughs> Just a loud mouth Yankee, I went down to Mexico. I didn't have much time to spend about a week or so. I lightly took advantage there of a girl who loved me so Found myself a-thinking when my time had come to go What am I doing hanging around? I should be on the train and gone I should be riding on that train to San Antonio What am I doing hanging around? She took me to the garden for a little walk. Well, I didn't know much Spanish, and there was no time for talk. She told me that she loved me not with words, but with a kiss. Found myself a-thinking of some old train I could not miss. What am I doing hanging around? I should be on the train and gone. I should be riding on that train to Mexico What am I doing hanging around?
It's been a year or so And I don't want to go back again And if I had the money I'd ride the same old train But I guess your chances come but once I sure have missed mine Find myself a-thinking when I hear Some whistle cry What am I doing hanging around I should be on the train and gone I should be riding on that train to Mexico What am I doing hanging around? Michael Martin Murphy, what am I doing hanging around? I remember that off the whatever Monkeys album that was. <laughs> uh, okay, you, you can tell the era by the title of the album that it was on. Oh, it was something like The Parf album was called Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones. <laughs> You know, they had all kinds of flowers oh, on the yeah. cover, you know. Peace and love. <laughs> you, you know, what, what's so cool, though, is that, because I, re I remember I was a Monkees fan, you know, I used to watch the show and all that, but I remember this thing that Michael's kind of, he's got a little different style there. He's kind of going with some country You know, things. Nesmith, you know, if you watch any of the old Monkey shows, he was never really comfortable with the hippie peace yeah. and love thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, you can tell, can't you? That you know, we're we're both from Texas, and we're a little suspect on that stuff <laughs> down there. You know, but but th that's where it comes back to you. Again, by the way, we're we're on Highway 89, speaking with Michael Martin Murphy, who your roots. This is no put on thing that you're you're going to your cowboy roots. Those those are true blue, from what I can tell. Well, you know, every time I'd ever be around Michael, even after he got in the monkeys, he was always hauling out a country song or a old Jimmy Rogers song or, or something really rootsy. And he liked bluegrass really well. That was the only bluegrass song the monkeys ever did. And uh, Doug Dillard from the Dillards actually played banjo on that cut. And uh, we never we never did a better version than what they did on there because of Doug's banjo. Mm. Uh, I recorded it several other times, and when I made my first bluegrass album, uh, couldn't get Doug. He was sick at the time, so I had a guy named Charlie Cushman come in and do it, and he's wonderful, but there's just something about, you know, the way that Doug played. And uh, so that was his difference in style, you know, and he was always trying to get back to the country a little bit, and... Uh, and the other guys were, it was a put-together band, and the other guys were from different backgrounds. They didn't fight it. They weren't against it. But if you look back now and listen to their sound, it's probably the uh, the roots of country rock. Isn't that? You know, when you think true. about it, you know, At the last train to Clarksville, and I'll meet you in the morning. Do, do, do. You know, that's not really a rock and roll yeah. song. Yeah. So they did, they did a lot of things like that. Daydream Believer was a country hit for Ann Murray, you know. John Stewart wrote it, you know, who replaced Dave Gard and the Kingston Trio. So there were a lot of folk roots to the Monkees, and that was mainly because of Nesbeth. Well, let's talk about your roots. You, you grew up, a couple of things that really contributed to your, um, the, the sound and things like that, that, that I'm assuming, and I, I'd like to hear from you if this is true, that you, uh, you, you grew up listening to a lot of the classic uh, 78s they were in those days mm -hmm. of... Uh, of Western music, I guess you'd call it, right? My uncle and my two grandfathers were ranchers. Uh, one, I really had a step-grandfather, too, so there were three. Hmm. Uh, all of them were ranchers. My maternal grandfather was uh, a city guy who invested in ranches through my uncle, and my uncle ran the ranches, and he would get out there on weekends. So uh, I spent most of my boyhood, you know, out on ranches helping out my grandparents. And I fell in love with that lifestyle. I was raised in the city, went to city schools in the summer. They shipped us off to the ranches, and that's where they figured we'd really get a better education than we were getting in the urban areas. And it was true. You know, uh, we, I felt when I came back from the country, I always felt like I knew more about life than I was being taught in school and how it really works, you know. Uh, we weren't shocked or disturbed when they introduced sex education in the schools. I mean, that's breeding animals. That's, that's the way they did it on the ranch, you know. 
and uh, and we didn't think it was anything strange. So I think country kids a lot of times are better prepared for that, even in their teenage years. They understand what can happen. Um, my grandfather was, it was my step-grandfather, was from Kentucky, and he was a mountain man. And uh, he only listened to the radio once a week, and that was a Grand Ole Opry. And the rest of the time, he didn't care for television, he didn't care for radio, but he liked to tell stories. So I spent my very young years listening to him on the front porch after the working day was done, and that was always here when the sun went down. He stopped when the sun went down, and he started when the sun, about an hour before the sun went up. And he would sit and tell stories. If it was a big moon outside, you know, you can imagine the magic. Told us a lot of ghost stories that were stories that had a point. You know, he, we didn't think they were real. We weren't scared. They had a point. And uh, he was a Southwesterner by nature, because he by choice and by nature. So I heard ghost stories like wildfire and those kind of things, and that just got into my soul. Uh, my uncle, on the other hand, was a record collector, and he had all these old 78s. After I learned how to play guitar, he gave me his whole collection, and I had a tape machine, an old two-track tape machine, you know, real, a real tape a real machine. Real to real, yeah. And uh, I'd put my albums on, play it through the record player, and then I'd put on the tape machine and recorded all these old scratchy records. And they were Jimmy Rogers, Bill Monroe, uh, old, old early Elvis records, uh, but stuff that went way back before Elvis. You know, pretty much went back to the time of the Victrola, really. And uh, I fell in love with this stuff. I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard, so I started learning those songs on guitar. And I realized that... Uh, I have roots. You know, I come from someplace. I have a culture to sing about. You know, and I sing cowboy music for the same reason that B.B. King sings the blues. You know, it's just who he is. It's where he's from. You know, grew up around in the South around people who picked cotton and didn't have a very wealthy life. And I grew up around those same people. But they loved their lives. Their wealth was in the land and what they could produce through their own sweat and hard work. And that stuck with me the rest of my life. I've never been afraid of work. I've raised all my kids to work. You know, when my granddad told me, he said, I want to tell you something, son. When your, when your daddy was 18, I'll tell you what I told him. Either go to college or get a job. You're out of here. <laughs> that is great advice right now. <laughs> I, I'm, I want to hear some because you have continued on. You've got what over 42, over 40 albums, some somewhere in that. I just finished and I have not released my 42nd. 42 album. albums. That's a lot of music. Yeah, and I can't remember all of it. <laughs> I, I mean, if you uh, you sat here and had a contest and just started calling out titles, there'd be a lot of them I couldn't I couldn't sing for you because I don't. I don't know all of them. You have to rehearse them, you know, and uh, and stay up with it. But I probably know maybe seventy five percent of my repertoire from my albums. Well, you, uh, what I think is is really remarkable is is you, yeah, you went to the top of the charts with what could be a pop song, a, a soft rock song, even. But you have all these country roots, and and you really, in in a lot of ways, it seems like blazed a trail for many of today's country crossover artists and, and uh, the, the country rock sound and a lot of things like that just by playing what you, what you love. Well, you know, I was, a, I was an English major at UCLA, and, and I was the first person to ever have a degree in creative writing. They started, they, they started a, a general degree program where you could kind of, if you didn't know what you wanted to do, you could kind of make, make it up as you went along. So, well, I want to learn to write. I don't want to just study literature. I want to learn to write it. They said, okay, well, we think we have some guys you could you hang with on that one. And um, so I, I read and also tried to imitate a lot of different writers. My favorite writer, writers were always people who were writing about their backyard and then universalizing it. Mark Twain universalized the experience of being a riverboat captain on the Mississippi. You know, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez always talked about his backyard in South America, but it somehow translates to the, to the human experience, even though all the trappings are a culture that we may not live in. 
And I think that's the secret. You have to you have to write about what you really know, and then try to figure out what it symbolizes for other people. And uh, so, I stuck with the Southwest and the West and and the music and the trappings that I grew up with. And uh, I got frustrated long about 1989. I didn't like the direction country music was going in. I felt like it was turning into party music. And we had just gone through a great era where great songwriters like Chris Christopherson and Willie Nelson and people were really saying some pretty deep things, you know, in, in music. And now all of a sudden along comes a bunch of yahoos. All they want to sing about is tailgating and, you know, girls in bikinis and stuff, you know, and, and that's okay. Having a party's fine, you know. I don't, I don't put that down. And, and some of the most fun songs ever written are party songs. But when it turns into nothing but that, then you don't have any other depth, then that's kind of disappointing. So I went to Warner Brothers and I said, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And they said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to make an album of cowboy songs, you know, songs that I feel like really have roots and depth and you know where they come from and you know what they're about. And uh, they're about hard work and independence. And uh, they kicked me off the label. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> and I was off that label for one year. And on Christmas Eve, the, the president of Warner Brothers called me up and said, okay, I'm going to let you do it. But that's going to be the only time. And then you got to go back to what you were doing before. And I said, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It became my best-selling album ever and still is, Cowboy Songs. And uh, so that, that took me down a path that uh, I've never – gotten off of if you go back to even to geronimo's cadillac that was that was about my backyard and that was about the southwest cosmic cowboy all my songs were about that but specifically to get down to just cowboy life was something that they were a little bit scared of sing one of those for us do you, do you have one of those ready for us i do this is kind of the song that did it it's not an old cowboy song i'll sing you one of those in a minute but uh, this kind of wrapped up the cowboy philosophy that I grew up with. There is a great American hero that we all look up to. When times are hard and the chips are down, he knows just what to do. Hey, cowboy's got a set of rules that he lives by day to day. And if you ask for his advice, and more than likely say If it's a fence, mend it If it's a dollar bill, spend it Before it burns a hole in the government's jeans If it's a load, truck it If it's a punch partner, you better duck it If she's a lady, then treat her like a queen That's cowboy logic Every cowboy's got it it's in the way he lives his life Songs he sings That's cowboy logic Every cowboy's got it He's got a simple solution Just about anything If it's a job, do it Hey, put your old back into it Cause a little bit of dirt's gonna wash off in the rain if it's a horse, ride it. If it hurts, hide it. Son, pull up those baggy pants, turn that ball cap around, and get back on again. That's cowboy logic. Every cowboy's got it. It's in the way he lives his life. Songs he sings. That's cowboy logic. Every cowboy's got it. He's got a simple solution for just about anything. Now an old cowboy and a young buckaroo were out working, riding fence. So the old man thought he'd test this kid on his working skills and common sense. He said, son, if you saw three men riding in the front of a pickup dressed alike from boot to hat, could you tell which one was the real cowboy just from where he sat? Well, the kid, he scratched his head a while. He said, ain't no way to know. The old man said, son, you've got a long, long way to go. You see, the real cowboy is the one who sits in the middle. He ain't just there by fate. First of all, you know he's sitting in the middle 
because he doesn't have to be the designated driver. You know he's a real cowboy if he's sitting in the middle because he might get into politics because if you're sitting in the middle, you might could run for the president of the United States. But more important, if you're sitting in the middle, you don't have to get out and open the gate. That's Cowboy Elijah. Every cowboy's got it. It's in the way he lives his life. Songs he sings. That's Cowboy Elijah. Every cowboy's got it. He's got a simple solution. Just about anything. How to lead a lot of lay. We are on Highway 89 with Michael Martin Murphy singing Cowboy Logic and, and living by that logic. It, it feels to me like you, you do live by that, Michael, that uh, you, you are a, a rancher, actually, along with being a musician. Is that true? Do you actually work the ranch? Yeah, as soon as I made any money in the, in the music business, and it wasn't a lot, I bought a little place where I could have some horses, and I've, I've stayed with a place where I could have livestock ever since. And today we have ranches in, in uh, Wisconsin, in Texas, and in Colorado. My wife is from Wisconsin. And uh, we raise uh, working cow horses, both quarter horses and paints, and we also raise uh, longhorn cattle. Uh, I love longhorns because I'm from Texas. And I didn't go to University of Texas, but I love, I love that breed. It's the old-time cowboy breed. And uh, I bought a few other cattle, messed around with it a little bit. But uh, over time, I like having those great old genetics. And we sell them to other ranchers who then crossbreed them for the, for the strong points that longhorns have, you know. Longhorns are lean and uh, don't qualify as fat cattle, so a lot of Angus breeders don't like them. But if you crossbreed a longhorn with an Angus cow, you get just a slightly leaner cut of meat, but you also have uh, an animal that calves really easily. So a lot of first calf heifers are bred to longhorn bulls, and uh, they, 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 you don't ever lose their calves. You know, it just doesn't happen, you know. And on our ranch, we've, we've never lost a calf. Do you ever find that does the life on the road? Not, not, tour- not in birth. To, to coyotes yeah. and things like that, oh, we've yeah. lost some. But yeah. So uh, I, lo- I just love being around that life, and I guess it goes back to my grandparents. Uh, I love being out in the open. I love the outdoors. And most of my songs have nature imagery in them because i just rather be outside than inside. I've been, been that way ever since I was a little boy. When I discovered the Rocky Mountains, though, I knew I was probably going to eventually leave Texas, and I did. And uh, I've lived in the Rocky Mountains pretty much ever since with a few detours over to the Wisconsin place. <laughs> well, well, welcome she to likes the to take then, de- yes. she likes to take yeah she likes to take detours out to here so that yeah. works good too <laughs> well, we're, we're glad you found us <laughs> I always kept a place in texas though i still drive on a texas driver's license and i'm still a texas resident yeah well, i was going to ask you if uh, it, the all the duties of ranching and keeping a ranch and things like that is that uh, do the road getting on the road doing your music and, and ranching do they ever come cross purposes or? absolutely couldn't do it without my wife and daughters uh my wife and daughters are the best cowboys on our place. <laughs> and my wife uh, is a wonderful horsewoman and uh, really good with farming, too. Uh, and so they all have different roles that they play. Now that the girls are growing up, we're losing some of our best hands. But uh, we live in Wisconsin around the Amish, and the Amish are wonderful hands on farm work. And uh, we get other people to come in to fill in on the cowboy work. But the girls have gone off and, uh, and started to become horse trainers. And since we're in the horse business, we sometimes sell horses to their clients, and their clients sell horses to us, and it works out. Uh, but uh, Karen is the trail boss. She's, without her, there's just no way I could have a ranch, you know. <laughs> I owe it all to her. Uh, she sounds like a wonderful woman. We- she is. Uh, you know, I, I advise people, when you get married, boys, Make sure you marry a woman who can run a bobcat and back a trailer. There you go. That's the, you know, we've got some college <laughs> students here that will get that advice out to them. Now, you promised us another cowboy tune. Do you have one, uh, one for us now? Yeah, well, you know, I want to sing you an old one that uh, is not, it's not one of mine, but uh, this is a, 
and I'm old enough to have some old ones, but this is a, was written by Badger Clark, one of the first cowboy poets. I learned it when I was a child, and I didn't even know who wrote it back then. He wrote it around the turn of the 19th and 20th century. And that was back in the day when Americans were trying to swim across the Rio Grande and get a job illegally in Mexico. Nobody can believe that now, but the, the big ranches were down there, and cowboys in Texas weren't doing that well. And right on up through the Depression, a cowboy who could get a job in Mexico had a great job. Some of these great Spanish ranchos that had uh, roots back to Spain, you know, they had incredibly wealthy people, and they could give you a great job. The book, all the Pretty Horses by Cormac McCarthy that won the Pulitzer Prize. It was written about that, how some cowboys in the 19, early 1950s in a real tough time in Texas go across the border and uh, get a job in Mexico. And he, they fall in, one of them falls in love with a beautiful senorita, but then they get kicked out and have to leave. And I think they got, Cormac got the idea from this song because that's what it's about. This was written in the time of Pancho Villa, when Mexicans w w welcomed Americans and then all of a sudden didn't, and then again did. Spanish is the loving tongue Soft as springtime, light as spray. There was a girl I learned it from, living down Sonora Way. Now I don't. Much like a lover Yet I say Her love words over Late at night When I'm all alone Mi amor Mi corazón There were nights when I would write She would listen for my spurs She'd fling that big door open wide And raise those laughing Spanish eyes of hers And how those hours Get to flying Pretty soon You'd hear her crying Please don't leave me All alone Mi amor, mi corazón. Then one time I had to fly. I got myself into foolish gambling fight I had to say a swift goodbye in that black unlucky night and traveling north her words Kept ringing 
and every hoofbeat. I could hear her saying, Please don't leave me all alone. Ah, mi amor, a mi corazón. I've never seen her since that night. I can't cross the border, you know. She is Mexican and I am white. Like is not, it's better so. And yet I've always sort of missed her since that very first night I kissed her. I left her heart, but I lost my own. Adios, mi corazón. Michael Martin Murphy on Highway eighty nine. <laughs> What a beautiful song. Yeah, you know, uh, and that's the tradition I try to write in. You know, the cowboy songs of the 19th century are really poetic and unashamedly and unabashedly sentimental and always produce some emotion. And uh, songwriters who work in publishing companies that are trying to crank out the hits, which I had a job doing for a while but never could do that well, and it, they uh, they've fallen into a pattern of writing out of formulas and what's trendy and you know you, we've gotten away from the idea of wait a minute you know what's coming from my heart and my head and what do I want to say and is it going to produce an emotional reaction in the person listening uh, you know we're not you know songwriters are not about cerebral you know information they're about the heart. And I love that song because there's some double entendres in there. It says, uh, I never seen her since that night. I can't cross the border, you know. She's Mexican and I'm white. The border is not only a physical border, but it's a racial border. It's at that time, it was forbidden by the grandees in, in Spain and by the people in Mexico for a gringo to marry a Mexican girl, and uh, that that color line wasn't lifted till somewhere around the 1950s and 60s when Martin Luther King pretty much marched for all people of color, you know. Uh, so the, he can't cross either border, and then when he says, she says, mi amor, mi corazón to him, at the end he says, adios, my corazón, mi corazón, goodbye, my heart, my heart's gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is sweet. Yeah, I, would you mind if I brag on you a little bit here for for just a moment? Because you are an award winning songwriter. You've got gold records, many multiple gold records, but also you've been uh, the Cowboy Hall of Fame has acknowledged your contributions. Yeah, uh, you've got uh, Western Heritage Awards, five Western Heritage Awards. Performed on the Tonight Show, David Letterman. Uh, you're a writer. You've been published in American Cowboy, Range Magazine. Uh, recipient of the Will Rogers Cowboy Philosopher Award. And a really cool thing that, that I read about is that you have received a Golden Smokey from the U.S. National Park Service, recognizing outstanding service and preservation of Western heritage. The, the National Parks, this is outside of music, they, they are recognizing that uh, 
that you have done a lot of work to preserve something that's dear to all of us. Well, I got involved in in a year when we had terrible wildfires all across the country. They asked me to come in the song because of my song Wildfire and get involved in this uh, campaign to uh, encourage people to be more careful with fire. And I said, well, I don't want to do it unless you bring back Smokey. And they said, what do you mean? I said, you don't have Smokey Bear anymore. You don't ever see Smokey Bear. And they said, well, we got rid of that quite a few years ago because we were afraid that kids in national parks would walk up to a bear thinking that it's Smokey Bear and be mauled. I said, wait a minute. Don't you think that kids, even three years old, can tell the difference between a cartoon and a bear? And uh, they said, well, yeah. There's, I said, there's more adults that feed bears, you know, than there are kids, you know. I said, Smokey Bear was great because you got the kids' attention, and you got to get the kids' attention before you're going to stop this, this terrible habit that people have of being careless with fire. And there were a lot of fires that were that were burning at that time that were started by people who let a barbecue get out of control, stuff like that. And um, and the forests weren't being managed very well at the time. They were they were not doing any any cutting, and there was an underbrush, and it was a an incendiary matchbox of a situation. Some Canadian rangers told me that was going to happen long before it took off here. I was up in Canada, and they said, you know, they're not letting us do any trimming or any cutting in here and said this pretty soon it's going to go when it does it's going to be big so uh i got involved in that campaign i i uh i guess probably my proudest award because there had been a golden smoky award a long time uh walt disney got one uh president eisenhower got one because they were they were people who loved nature and really promoted and really promoted smoky bear and i got the award i think because they said we're going to bring back Smokey Bear, and Smokey's back now. You yeah. know and they got guys in suits and gals in suits that come out of Smokey Bear at every event, and I'm probably more proud of that than anything else I've ever done. Uh, sometimes it's good to keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> well, Michael, we've got time for maybe one more song from you. What what can you uh, give us here as we uh, we wrap up this delightful hour? Well, you know, I, I don't want you to think I'm standing still, so I'm going to sing you a new song. And this is not re- even released yet at the time that we're making this interview. If you play it later, maybe it will be. I wrote this song for my wife because one day she said, how come you've never written a song for me? <laughs> it took me five years to figure out what I was going to say. And... Um, My son and I wrote this song, and we were talking about how between every couple, you know, when the romantic spark gets started, if it keeps going, there's a secret smile that happens between those people that nobody else really sees or fully understands. There was mystery in that moment When I first saw your secret smile Sometimes midnight Sometimes sunlight Sometimes a lady Sometimes a child And from others You concealed it But to me it Was revealed A secret smile between you and me Secret smile that only we can see You and me through the years You and me through the tears Across the miles we'll keep our secret smile You and me through the years You and me through the tears Across the miles We'll keep our secret smile
Through the secrets of the seasons I can hear you laughing still Summer's first kiss and the spring mist Fading rainbows on the hill Fall's dark daydreams Summer sunbeams Your voice whispering Through wind and snow Secret smile Between you and me Secret smile Only we can see You and me through the years You and me through the tears Cross the miles We'll keep a secret smile You and me through the years You and me through the tears Cross the miles We'll keep a secret smile Promise me You'll keep our secret smile. Michael Martin Murphy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, and thank you, Everly Brothers. There you go. For inspiring <laughs> that particular kind of song. <laughs> I, that is just, I was thinking as you were, you were singing that, that uh, I, I can never get too much of that, that the, the, the beautiful... Heartfelt songwriting and uh, acoustic uh, uh, performance behind it. That's, that's the real deal. It's, it's nice to hear that. We are going to have to conclude this, this episode of Highway 89. It's been a memorable hour, and we do want to thank Michael Martin Murphy for coming and playing for us. I speak for all of us that we've enjoyed it very much. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Michael Martin Murphy is an award-winning musician. He's recorded over 42 albums, has six gold records, and you can get more information about him, including information about his upcoming concerts, at michaelmartinmurphy.com. Highway 89 takes you to any number of musical destinations, every one of them musical, musical and memorable. For more information about this show, simply email us at highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting. The recording engineer is Mark Waite. The show's producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Don Shaline. <laughs>